You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. This is your co-host, Danny. And we have a fun show for you today. First, we'll give you our Super Bowl predictions, talk a little bit about the NBA, and coordination with the Super Bowl, uh, the Hall of Fame is going to be announced. So we'll give you our predictions on that Hall of Fame. And then we have a very intriguing trading card scenario. But first, our Super Bowl predictions, Danny. I still don't know who I'm picking. I got got to walk it through a little bit here. So this is the first time that the home team is hosting the Super Bowl. In this case, that being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fun field uh, weekend for those who will be attending. And I'll just say this, man. I I don't know who I'm picking. The Kansas City offense is, is just, man, it is lights out. I don't know how they're going to contain Cheetah, that being Tyreek Hill. They played uh, this season, earlier this season. He just rolled on them in the first quarter. 206. Come on, man. So they're going to have to figure out how they're going to contain the Cheetah. Kansas City is going to be without their offensive tackle, who uh, I believe tore his Achilles, and uh, I don't know how that's going to impact them. I would imagine that uh, there's going to have to be some additional blocking somewhere, possibly the uh, tight end, Kelsey, uh, helping there. How much that will slow him up in his route progressions, I I don't know. But I think it's going to have some form of impact. That Tampa Bay defense is wicked. Number 45, man, I believe his uh, name is Devin White from LSU. Second year, man, he is, I just love watching him play, man. I really do. He just flies around. So I am torn, man. And then I, I look on Tampa Bay side, and I'm not really interested in Tom Brady. His leg- legacy is already established, Okay. But this Super Bowl is legacy defining for a lot of careers. And there are a lot of players on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who, man, this win can really define their careers, man. And the other thing that I'm thinking about here is just, man, I'm just thinking about even just the coaching staff of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have the lead assistant. Harold Goodwin, you have the defensive coordinator, Ty Bowles, especially Ty Bowles for what he had to endure in New York with the Jets. Started off relatively okay with the Jets, but man, that organization really failed him, quite honestly. Uh, And then you have Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator. And, And then you have Keith Armstrong, who is the special teams coordinator. So the reason why I'm pointing these gentlemen out is because they are all African-American. And to really be able to see them win, uh, I'm really hoping that it will elevate them to other coaching positions, higher coaching positions. You can't get any higher, I don't think, to, uh, unless you're a head coach. And yes, you can you know, talk about the Kansas City Chiefs with you know their coordinator, offensive coordinator. I'm torn. Uh, the offense, uh, I'm really interested to seeing how the Tampa Bay offense is really going to uh, do here, especially at the wide receiver position. I'm really, really interested in seeing how how this all works out. And I'm wondering if 
if it's going to be too much, meaning what they did against the Green Bay Packers, I think was just enough based upon a game plan itself. Kansas City defense, in my opinion, is not as lethal as uh, Tampa Bay's defense, in my opinion. So you may not have to have as much firepower offensively. They could be actually okay with just having uh, Mike Evans and Godwin, and they can be pretty good. And yeah. then they have a good running running game. So this is going to be very intriguing, just watching the <laughs> matchups and everything, man. And I'm pretty certain that offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City is going to have something tuned up with that offensive offensive tackle being out, man. And so I've been going back and forth. And here's another reason why I've been going back and forth. There are reports that Kansas City Chiefs have actually gotten how can we say exposed to COVID it has been reported that the Chiefs had 20 people including quarterback Patrick Mahomes uh some other players and staff members in line for a haircut on Sunday with a barber who tested positive for COVID-19 the backup center Daniel Kilgore was in the chair and the Chiefs pulled the barber once they discovered that he had a positive test hopefully things will will work out okay for them in terms of COVID, don't want anybody get, getting sick for COVID from COVID at all. Forget the game. I just want them to be healthy and safe. Uh, but league rules indicate that they still can play on Sunday after exposure to COVID uh, if they test negative for five consecutive days. So there's yep. still opportunity there for them uh, and all. But that kind of scares me. I'm going to be bold here and just make a pick. <laughs> I picked the Bills to beat the Chiefs. In the AFC Conference Championship game, I was so wrong on that, betting against the Chiefs. But here's the difference, man. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have gelled. I think their defense has gelled. I think the offensive tackle, or lack thereof, is going to be an issue. Agree. And with that, in a close, close Super Bowl, I'm going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Jason, I also struggle with this pick because these teams if you look at it, they're very close man it's is the defensive line going to get enough pressure on Mahomes to help that secondary out because they didn't do it in the first game until the second half which they did hold Kansas City after they scored the, that quick 21 in that game that first meeting they held them after that you've made all the compelling arguments Barbergate what happened when someone <laughs> getting their hair cut <laughs> And how that may impact them. And you, the one thing I'm curious about is how the Tampa Bay Buccaneer receivers bounce back after that Green Bay game because they had a lot of drops in the cold weather. So they'll be at home, uh, but they still had the drops. Mentally, does that impact them at all? Because this is the biggest game of their careers for Godwin and Evans. They haven't been in this stage before. A lot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have not been at this stage before. Looking at that, looking at the left tackle situation with Kansas City and how that impacts them with JPP sitting there staring down, staring down that left tackle, how is he going to react? It's a home game for Tampa Bay, man. This is the part I can't get past. For all everything going on, this is still a home game for them, even though they're not going to have the booms and the, and the cannons going off because the NFL said none of that because we don't make it too much of a home game for you. <laughs> but I think Kansas City pulls it out in the end. I'm torn, man, actually. I, it's, this is just a straight up. <laughs> this is just me picking somebody because I yep, think it's yep, a, I hear you. <laughs> this is one of the closest Super Bowls that I can remember in recent history where you have two powerhouse offenses going mm -hmm. against each other and 
Tampa Bay's defense is better than Kansas City's, but Kansas City, they do have playmakers on defense. But for the sake of us discussing here, you take Tampa Bay, I'll take Kansas City just to make it interesting. <laughs> but I definitely could see Tampa Bay winning because they're at home. <laughs> so I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in a close Super Bowl 55. Let's go. And now a little bit into the NBA. Danny, let me just ask you this, man. What are your thoughts on these Milwaukee Bucks right now? Uh, we are actually about 20 or so games into uh, this season. And at the beginning of the season, I said, we got to give them 20 games to really let them figure it out, especially um, in the midst of getting eight, nine new players on the team. So you got to let time for them to gel an abbreviated preseason an abbreviated training camp figure give them 20 games let's see what happens so with that man what, what are your thoughts on these milwaukee bucks as of right now one i'll start with drew holiday i still see him working himself back in or working himself into the team trying to build that chemistry on the offensive and defensive end i think mm -hmm. so in the games where now he's starting to be more of a facilitator and like we've talked about in previous podcasts mm -hmm. put the ball in his hands mm -hmm. so he's doing more of that now but i still think they're not there i think it's still going to take a little bit more time for them to figure this out and i think that may be part of their problem still is incorporating mm -hmm. drew holiday into the scheme point number two is their defense is horrible right now defending the three yeah and if you think back to the Jason Kidd era, they couldn't defend the three for anything. Mm -hmm. So if you can't defend the three and you make Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball look like Steve Kerr and Ray Allen out there, <laughs> you have a problem. So I don't know if what if it's the scheme that's all of a sudden or they're just they're just not playing defense on they're just tired. Can't figure that out yet of why or what's going on there. And if adjustments need to be made, either personnel-wise, uh, his lineups, or what the case may be. Jason, I don't know what you think about that on the threes, man. I'll just say this. As of right now, the Milwaukee Bucks are the third worst team in the NBA in defending the three-point line. They are actually giving up 40.5% of three-pointers as of right now. The last, let me say this, the last three games they have given up a whopping 47.1% from three-point line, man. Let that sink in for a, for a moment. And there, there's a big problem there. Uh, I think it's all energy, but it's also scheme. And to me, when you have a percentage that high mm -hmm. of giving up uh, three-point three-pointers, to me, that, that scheme in that you're defending the two-point line or you're defending other shots, uh, you're putting more of your effort in defending those particular shots. So as it stands right now, conversely, the Milwaukee Bucks are ranked fourth in defending two-pointers in terms of the percentage. Mm -hmm. So scheme-wise, you're looking at they're giving up 46.4% from two-pointers. We talked about this before in where they're actually lagging or sagging into the paint, defending the paint. And when you do that, it's going to take them a while to, to really uh, contest the three-pointers. Yep. And they're just not getting out there quick enough or they're really just allowing teams to, uh, in Giannis' words, to 
established team records in three-pointers in a game. According to Giannis, he said that they'll live with that. Uh, so to me, that's all about scheme. But I also will say that it's a little bit of effort too. Yeah. I think when when players see the three-pointers go in like that, man, that has got to be draining. Mm-hmm. That's got to be draining, man, because it's like you're defending the two, you're giving up the three, but you're putting effort in defending the two, but you're giving up a three. I can, I can see that be being deflating. I but to that point, but to that point, Jason, real quick, mm-hmm. when you think analytics, since everything's driven off analytics right now, and everyone's shooting for from the three, when you make the adjustment to say analytics is telling us we need to get our butts out there and switch it up, where maybe it's more switch. I don't know if it's the switch or going under these picks or whatever they're doing. Switch. I think it's a switch, Danny. Because they're going Holiday, under picks too. I've I've listened to Drew Holiday specifically in these post game interviews, post game mm-hmm. conferences, and the consistent theme that he has provided has been: if we switch, or things got better when we switch. He kept using that mm-hmm. those type of phrases. And one reporter asked him outright, "Well, if you all started the game off in a switch, if they switch." they will be able to defend the three a little bit better. And I wholeheartedly agree with Drew Holiday. I don't know why they just don't go with it. I mean, they have the players to do it on all phases, all positions. Now, I can see Dante DiVincenzo, you know, struggling at times with that. I think he's starting – I'm looking at this Pacers game, and I think he's starting to come on a little bit. I, I think it was a, a downward trend for him for a little bit of time, but I think he's starting to, you know, shape up a little bit. But I, So to answer your question, Danny, it's scheme, but I think it's also – the players are not really fully invested or buying into the scheme. I think Drew's like, okay, man, what, what are we doing? And he's a defensive-minded person. I, I think it's that. The other thing I'm thinking of, though, is I agree with you. I think it's taken Drew a little bit of time to get into this offense. They took the ball out of his hands, man. They put him in the dunker spot, and they allowed Giannis to bring the ball up. And I think they made that adjustment where now uh, Drew is bringing the ball up a lot more, and the offense looks a lot better when he does it, quite honestly. It's going to take longer than 20 games, apparently. I'll give it you know, another five to ten games. Yep. Uh, Torrey Craig, he was out due to injury so hopefully that defensive presence will will help they need to start really getting this thing together i mean we're looking at the eastern conference 76ers 15 and 6 record right now number one c brooklyn nets 14 and 9 ironically enough they're ahead of the milwaukee bucks percentage wise and we're at 12 and 8 and then there's a lot of teams one two three four games behind us man so this is going to be a very much contested rest of the season man it really is the saturday before the super bowl there is typically the nfl honors this year is no different in the nfl honors they typically announce who is actually a part of the Hall of Fame for that year. And so we decided, why not talk about it? This is a, a field that is very impressive. I'll list all the names real quickly. Uh, Jared Allen, first year of eligibility. Rondé Barber, first year of eligibility. Tony Baselli, 
fifth time, Leroy Butler, second time, Alan Fenneca, sixth time, Torrey Holt, second time, Calvin Johnson, first time, John Lynch, eighth time, Peyton Manning, first time, Clay Matthews Jr., first time, Sam Mills, second time, Richard Seymour, third, Zach Thomas, second, Reggie Wayne, second, Charles Witson, first. Typically, they allow eight players in. Let's just start off with the ones who we know, Shuins, okay? And then we can work it from there. So Shuin, first ballot Hall of Famer, Peyton Manning. Agree with that, Jason. Shuin, first ballot Hall of Famer, Charles Woodson. Agree with that, Jason. Okay. How interesting that these two careers have really culminated at different points in their careers. The first being the 1997 Heisman Trophy in where Charles Woodson won. That Heisman Trophy field was epic, okay? So you had Charles Woodson winning. Obviously, the on the defensive side of the ball, seven interceptions. I mean, he did it all, man. On the defensive side, special teams, he was a punt returner. The, I mean, he just did a lot for you on the field, man. Peyton Manning. Let me read off some numbers here, man. Peyton Manning had 3,819 yards and 36 touchdowns and 11 interceptions in college. Uh, this is back in 97. And that was in an SEC conference. So uh, it's very interesting. And then you had, yeah, you had Ryan Leaf. Didn't necessarily uh, pan out in the NFL. But I'm going to tell you who did. Randy Moss, who was also a part of that Heisman trophy, that Heisman field. And Randy has some ridiculous numbers, man, even though he played with Marshall A. He had 96 receptions for 1,820 yards and 26 (laughs) touchdowns, man. Man, Somebody was out there getting burnt. (sighs) Man, burnt for real. So so those were individuals invited to New York, but there were some others in that field, too. You had Curtis Enos. You had Ricky Williams, who would later become a Heisman uh, winner. You had Kate McNown, Tim Couch. So... A very good field, man. So I just say how interesting that those two careers have culminated not only at the Heisman Trophy ceremony in 1997, but now potentially into the Hall of Fame together, man. So uh, very, very interesting. And then, Danny, so those are two. So now I think here comes the very intriguing conversations that we'll have here. Who else do, who else do you think is a, is a sure end, man? Torrey Holt is getting in. This is his seventh year of eligibility, and this is his second time being a finalist. And I agree with you on that. Okay, so that's three down. Calvin Johnson, Megatron. <sighs> I don't think the committee is going to give you that many wide receivers. I don't think he's going to get in purely because, not because of his stats, but because probably the number of years that he played. He played nine seasons, 135 games. So I, I don't think he's going to get in this time, but he will get, eventually get in. Yep. And I think, too, no playoff wins. So he has no playoff support. That is just so disappointing, man, that you have to rely upon an organization to get you over the hump, to pad your resume in order to get into the Hall of Fame. He was just I, a victim of circumstance. Just imagine him in a high-powered offense. Oh, man. It's just the luck of the draw. If you're in an organization that supports you and is well-run, these type of conversations for him, it'll be a no-brainer right now. But since he came from Detroit and he retired early, he's going to get dinged for that. So I agree with you as well. I don't think he gets in this first time. Let's stay in that division, and let's go to the Green Bay Packers and where there's Leroy Butler. This is his second time being a finalist. I really hope he gets in, man. This is his 15th time 
on the ballot, but again, only his second time being a finalist. So uh, I really hope he gets it, man. I just don't think he's going to get in this time. Yeah, I agree, Jason. I think, I don't know what's going to put him in. He led the team in interceptions five times. Mm -hmm. He had a 12-year career, so 181 games. But he led the team in interceptions five times, man. He, you can say he was a key member of that defense as well. Three straight division titles, two Super Bowl appearances. He has seven tackles and one sack in the Super Bowl victory against the New England Patriots. So that's I mean, my point. Is he is he getting overshadowed just because he played with Reggie White? Is that, I don't is know. that dinging him? He's his numbers are supported, supportive of I mean, him in the Hall of Fame. But check, check this out. Selected to the Pro Bowl four times, all pro Four times. Not only that, but he was named to the NFL's all-decade team of the 90s. I hope he gets in, man, because I remember those days, and we relied upon him in that secondary, man. So I, I think I think he's going to get in. I just don't think it's going to be this time, though. And this goes to the fact of what's the criteria? It's a moving target. So when you when we're having this discussion, you don't know what you base what's what this is based on. This is just based mm. on feel. Yeah. Yeah, and we can say the same thing. Let's stay in the division yep. with Jared Allen. I mean, this is his first year of eligibility, first year being a finalist. I mean, he played with Minnesota for a number of years, started off with Kansas City, and went on over to Minnesota, then went on to Chicago, and then ended up in Carolina. But I agree with you, man. What is the criteria? Because I don't see Jared Allen being a, being elected. I don't either. Not first ballot. No. I don't see I don't see that. So we'll we'll just skip over that right quick. Because we agree there. Let's stay in the old division where we used to be a part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers division before they kind of realign things. And let's go with Rondé Barber, cornerback safety. Spent his whole career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. And you remember Rondé, man. He was a hell of a cornerback and safety. I think he falls in the same boat as Leroy Butler from the standpoint of is he not going to get put in due to the defense he was a part of? Let me give you this impressive stat on Rondé Barber. Yeah. He's, he's the only player in NFL history with at least 45 interceptions and 25 sacks. His numbers are awesome. He's a three-time All-Pro, Yep, selected to five Pro Bowls, member of the NFL's All-Decade team of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. He led the NFL with 10 interceptions in 2001. I say no. Yeah, I say no there, but I, I will say yes to this person. Who's that? John Lynch. I'm going to say yes to John Lynch. This is his ninth year of eligibility, eighth year as a finalist. And the reason why I'm saying yes to John Lynch is purely because, one, this is his eighth year as a finalist, man. Ninth year of eligibility. He's a Hall of Famer. It's just a matter of when. But at the same token, man, it's Tampa Bay. They're playing at Tampa Bay. That's just a great storyline, right? So uh, I'm going to say yes to John Lynch uh, because he was a game changer in that Tampa 2 defense, man. So here, Jason, this one I flipped on. But then I'm looking at Rondé Barber, and I look closer at his stats, and I'm like, should John Lynch be put in over Rondé Barber? Mm. Or Leroy Butler, when you look at the stats, right? So this is one we're going to differ on now. <laughs> if Rondé and Leroy can't get in, John Lynch shouldn't be put in. I'll, I'll just I, I, I'll just say this, man. Nine Pro Bowls, all pro recognition, three consecutive years. Man, this is I'm sticking with I'm sticking to my guns here, man. I'm saying I think he's going to get in purely because of the narrative. And man, this is his 
eighth year as a finalist, ninth year of eligibility. Let's go to Tony Baselli. This I'm, is his 15th year of eligibility, fifth as a finalist, man. But he played seven seasons. I think that's what's been holding him back and getting in. I think he's going to eventually get in. I just don't think it's going to be this time. I agree. I don't see him getting in. And I think that longevity piece is mm -hmm. going to hamper him throughout just mm -hmm. due to his short career. He was dominant, but he just didn't play that many years. So it's hard. When you look at some of these uh, individuals and how long they played, then you look at his career. And we talked about Calvin Johnson having a short career. His is even shorter than that. So that puts him at a disadvantage, even though he was yep. a great player. Reggie Wayne, man, <laughs> of the Indianapolis Colts, spent his entire career with the Colts, man. A 14-year career out of the U, 211 games, caught 100 passes in a season four times, recorded 1,000 receiving yards eight times, uh, set franchise records with 15 receptions against the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2010. He is a Super Bowl champion. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, Peyton Manning, who this is his first year of eligibility, threw him that touchdown pass in a Super Bowl against the Chicago Bears in Miami. First team All-Pro in 2010, second team All-Pro 2007-2009. And he was voted to six Pro Bowls over a seven-year span. That's an impressive resume. But I don't think he's going to get in this second year of eligibility. I agree with you, Jason. He was tough because I was trying to go with the whole Peyton Manning, mm -hmm. Reggie Wayne narrative here. How cool would it be for both of them to get in at the same time, knowing Reggie Wayne contributed a lot to Peyton Manning's success in Indianapolis. I think we both yeah. agree on this one. Zach Thomas, who spent most of his career in Miami. Uh, Zach Thomas was a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. For a number of years, he ultimately played 13 seasons, 184 games. Uh, first team All-Pro five times. <sighs> Second team All-Pro twice. He's been voted to seven Pro Bowls. I would say no. This is this is Zach Thomas's eighth year of eligibility, second year as a finalist. I had a funny feeling about this one. I I'm not feeling Zach Thomas for the Hall of Fame. I got a funny feeling he's gonna get elected. I'm not basing that on anything. <laughs> the gut feel. I don't know why I think that because he didn't play in a Super Bowl. He was a great linebacker, but I just have a funny feeling he's going to get in for some reason. So I'm going to go, I'm going to pivot off John Lynch and go to Zach Thomas and say he gets in. Let's go to Alan Finneka. Played 13 seasons, 206 games out of LSU. Uh, he is a guard. He started his career in 98. Named All-Pro, first team six times. He selected to nine consecutive Pro Bowls. He has been named to the NFL's all-decade team of the 2000s. He said he's a dominating run blocker, uh, led the way for four teams that finished among the NFL's top 10 in rushing 11 times in 13 seasons. This is his sixth year of eligibility, six as a finalist. I'm going to say he's going to get in, man. I agree. I think, it's, I think he's going to get his year. I think this is his year. Clay Matthews, I think you briefly touched up on him. That family... The bloodline is just impressive, man. This is not Clay Matthews who played for the Green Bay Packers who won a Super Bowl. This is Clay Matthews Jr. who started his career back in 1978. This is his 20th year of eligibility and first as a finalist. He was a linebacker. Yep. Uh, they considered him one of the NFL's 
Iron Man, and where again he played 278 games over 19 seasons. At the time of his retirement, he ranked third in NFL histories for games played. First for linebackers. He did play for the Cleveland Browns, then went on over to the Atlanta Falcons. Let's just say this, man. This is about longevity. This one was a tough one for me because I think about the longevity. Yep. And in the NFL, just the commitment to keep getting up and keep going year after year after year. The stats just doesn't, you know. It doesn't jump out at you other than the longevity aspect. My heartstring is saying yes because of longevity. Yep. The resume is saying no. (laughs) So I'm going to say no for Clay Matthews Jr. I agree, Jason. I'll keep it short. Okay. I just think he it's longevity play. He was a good player, but I don't see it. That leaves us with uh, Sam Mills and Richard Seymour. Sam Mills real quickly. And this is his 19th year of eligibility. Second year as a, a finalist. He's a linebacker, played for, for New Orleans and Carolina. Voted to five Pro Bowls over his career. Named All-Pro and All-NFC three times. He did pass away in 2005. Sam was a great player. He was a great player, man. Um, you know he played for the Saints. I'm going to say yes to Sam Mills. He was a good player, man. Yeah, he was. Now that you said this, I think I'm going to flip and agree with you here. I wasn't going to. But I think Sam Mills does get in. So if he gets in, then that might knock Zach Thomas out. But we'll say both. I'll say both of them get in. Zach Thomas and Sam Mills. So what about Richard Seymour? Richard Seymour selected first team All Pro three consecutive seasons and second team twice. Named to the NFL's All Decade team in, of the 2000s. This is Richard's fourth year of eligibility. Three as a finalist. Third year as a finalist. Excuse me. Played 12 seasons, 164 games. I'm saying yes to Richard Seymour. I'm going to say no. Mm. And the reason is, on those Patriots teams, he was a key component again. He wasn't like an Aaron Donald. Seymour demanded, commanded double teams. I'm not going to say that. He's mm-hmm. a great defensive tackle, DN. But I don't see him as a Hall of Famer in this class. I'm going to say no. So to recap, I have Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, we both agree on those two. I just indicated Richard Seymour for me, Sam Mills, John Lynch, Tory Holt. And if I recall correctly, I had Alan Fenneca going in. Those are my Hall of Famers for 2021. And who did you have, Danny? Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Zach Thomas, Tory Holt, Sam Mills, Alan Fenneca. We'll see. It's going to be a good time. Now to our trading card scenario. So, Jason... In light of our previous discussion with the NFL Hall of Fame finalists, we have Torrey Holt's 1999 Skybox rookie card for Reggie Wayne's Topps 2001 rookie card. So some quick bios. Reggie Wayne was the 30th overall pick out of the U, University of Miami, by the Indianapolis Colts. Six-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, one Super Bowl, 1,070 receptions, 14,345 yards, 82 touchdowns. Torrey Holt, sixth overall pick from NC State by the St. Louis Rams. Seven-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, one Super Bowl, 920 receptions, 13,382 yards, 74 touchdowns. Jason, who you got? Man, this has been a tough one. This show has been tough. (laughs) Reggie Wayne. 
came out of the U and came into the cold, played with the Indianapolis Colts in the dome and ultimately uh, in the new house that Peyton Manning built. And Peyton Manning was throwing him the ball. So you have an all-time great throwing you the ball. Started off in his career uh, not too, too impressive, but they have Marvin Harrison right there. So that dynamic duo of Marvin and Reggie was just something to behold in Indianapolis, man. Thought about Reggie, especially when he played in Miami, going back to Miami to win the championship, win the Super Bowl. And who could ever forget that Super Bowl, man? That was like the first Super Bowl that where it rained in Miami. But man, that halftime show was off the chain. <laughs> that was the, probably by far the best halftime show in Super Bowl history, man. Where you had Prince, you had FAMU, the Marching 100 playing with them. Man, that was just awesome. And to hear Prince sing Purple Rain in the rain. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> And he said he hopes it rains harder. Come on, man. <laughs> but I digress. This one was tough, man, because I, I, th- I thought about the Super Bowl. And I was like, okay, let me just look at what did they do in the Super Bowl? So, Tory Holt, who could ever forget that Super Bowl mm-hmm. when the then St. Louis Rams played the Tennessee Titans? And it was a one-yarder that... Oh, man, that was such an epic drive by Steve McNair, rest in peace, and the Tennessee Titans. Eddie George with that run. Oh, my gosh, man. Mm -hmm. That was just a great Super Bowl. And I thought about, okay, let me see these two greats at great moments Mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl. And looking at the stats of these two individuals, Torrey Holt caught the ball seven times for 109 yards and a touchdown in that Super Bowl. Reggie Wayne caught the ball two times. For 61 yards and a touchdown. Granted, that was filled with rain. There were there was fumbling all over the place. It's interesting because when you think about it, Torrey Holt did only play 11 years compared to Reggie Wayne's, what, 14 years? Torrey Holt and his stats, man, career stats. Seven-time Pro Bowl, one-time All-Pro. He does have a ring, and he's part of the All-Decade team of the 2000s. I'm going to have to go with Torrey Holt, man. I, I would need a Torrey Holt. This was tough because both of these players had a complimentary number one playing next to them. Torrey Holt had Isaac Bruce. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, Reggie Wayne had Marvin Harrison. They both had Marshall Falk, too, mm-hmm. at one point in his career. Torrey Holt is also a Hall of Fame inductee at NC State. He was inducted in 2019. And I looked at the quarterbacks. Reggie Wayne had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Torrey Holt had Kurt Warner. Mark Bulger and a bunch of other quarterbacks who shall remain nameless. We got to stop agreeing. I'm going to take Torrey Holt, man. I think just to have that card, I looked at him as the number one on the Rams versus Isaac Bruce versus Reggie Wayne was the number two to Marvin Harrison being the number one. All that being said, I'm going to take Torrey Holt's rookie card, 1999 Skybox rookie card. There you have it. Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backportstalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backportstalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.